Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. I must apologize. The sound quality in this interview isn't up to our normal standard. Unfortunately, we had some recording difficulties at the very beginning, and as such, we were required to use a different platform that we were usually use. However, I can rest assured that there is so much gold that it will be worth your while to listen all the way till the end. Welcome to the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I'm speaking with Jessica Simonis, nutritionist and Western herbalist at the Psoriasis Eczema Clinic in Bayside, Melbourne. Jessica specializes in the holistic treatment of chronic skin conditions such as psoriasis, eczema, acne, and rosacea. She boasts over 14 years' experience within the complementary and alternative medicine fields, including clinical practice, education, and presenting roles, as well as content writing, research, journal editing, and nutritional program development. Jessica is passionate and dedicated to her profession, and she received further training from Professor Michael Tyrant in the field of integrative dermatology. Having experienced the debilitating effects of a chronic skin condition herself, Jessica shares a unique understanding with her patients and is highly motivated to achieve optimal results. Today, we are speaking with Jessica about psoriasis and I started by asking her what she thought was the biggest misconception about the links between diet and inflammatory skin conditions. Yeah so I think there's quite a few of these going around at the moment but perhaps the biggest misconception I think about diet and inflammatory skin conditions is for the last few decades has certainly been that there is no link between the two. And if you follow the evolution of medical treatment for skin disease, you can go right back to Ayurvedic medicine, for instance, which is about 6,000 years ago. Diet was central to treatment, as was many of the medical systems that followed, such as traditional Chinese medicine, Hippocrates, that sort of thing. So it's interesting that along the way we've, we've, we've discovered or we've thought through um, modern science that link all of a sudden doesn't exist. And so within the last 100 years or so, we've moved away from diet altogether sometimes to the point where a practitioner might tell you it's got absolutely nothing to do with skin disease. And many of us who've seen a dermatologist or a conventional medicine practitioner have perhaps heard that um, said to us before. However, now we're realising that there is such a link and science is catching up and more and more evidence is mounting to suggest that, yes, indeed, there is a link between diet and inflammatory skin disease. But I think the most important thing to recognise here is that it's important not to get caught up in, um, I guess, the social media and internet and suggestions that come up for what to and what not to eat, and that we really follow the evidence-based suggestions that, that are coming out of the, the scientific research that we're having. And that is mainly based around anti-inflammatory diets, maintaining a healthy weight regime, ensuring you're getting sufficient nutrition, and, and these, there's certainly a lot of research around this. That's really interesting how we're doing this 360 
Yeah, absolutely. And it is interesting that we are doing that 360 and coming back to that traditional sense of what we did understand with Ayurvedic medicine. What's quite interesting is that with the dietary suggestive through Ayurvedic medicine, it's almost like they knew about inflammatory foods and histamines in foods because a lot of their suggestions were about minimising fish, for example, or minimising citrus or tomatoes. And if you have a look at these foods and break them down into the individual chemicals now, you can see that they do contain components such as histamine and inflammatory compounds, particularly things like red meat as well, which they also used to suggest to avoid. So it's almost like 6,000 years ago, they, they knew that it was an inflammatory-based condition and so they were treating it as such with um, dietary medicine. How fascinating. So tell us about your career. Yes, yeah, so definitely a, an interesting journey. I certainly didn't start out with the um, idea of, of focusing on skin. That was something that grew and came over, over time, which is really surprising given that as a teen I did suffer with, with acne and, and with um, chronic skin disease myself. So you would think that would be the first thing that I would focus on. But um, actually I started out in, in general medicine when I did nutritional and herbal medicine and I actually had quite a passion for post-viral care and glandular fever and chronic fatigue syndrome so that's where I actually started out and I'll be honest I found skin actually really complicated to treat so whether that was as a result of not niching and not specializing and having further education in that area but I certainly found that the approaches that we were trained to use originally weren't enough and there are some wonderful benefits to the way that complementary and alternative medicines approach skin and it's in a very holistic and preventative manner. However, as I said, it wasn't quite enough and patients were really taking quite a while to see their results. And unfortunately, I'm sure a lot of people out there, if they've ever had a skin condition or they've treated a skin condition, patients want results. They don't want to wait six months to get results. And uh, they've already been down that track and they're already quite disheartened by the time that they often seek your treatment. So getting them the quick results is really, really important. So I'm not one to turn down a challenge. And, and because I wasn't getting the results that I wanted to with skin, I started to focus more and more on that area and dig deeper into the research. And so that, yeah, it just really made me want to learn and grow in that side of my profession. And as life would have it, I came across Professor Michael Turant, who is a professor of dermatology. He's actually a professor in three international universities, but he's also a naturopath. And as you can imagine, that's a very, very rare find. And we're very lucky that he's, he's local. He's an Australian practitioner. And um, I undertook further training with him. And that's how I came to work where I do today. And that's at the Psoriasis Eczema Clinic in Melbourne. What a wonderful journey. So did you seek out him because you're interested in skin conditions because it was a challenging aspect of your treatment? Definitely. And also I had and I had come across some patients who I was treating for psoriasis at that time. And I was thinking the fantastic results were all due to my wonderful therapies, but found out that a lot of them had also been going to Professor Trant at that time. So that certainly picked up my ears and, and developed an interest and wanted to learn a little bit more. So I, I sort of had crossed his path there and, and again in a different clinic where we were, I was actually working in a rural setting at that time and unbeknownst to me, we were going to train in these therapies and use those in the clinic. However, it wasn't until I actually moved back to Melbourne that we crossed paths for the third time and I ended up working with him at the clinic. So yeah, it was, I guess it was meant to be. It was meant to be. So how long have you been there for now? So I've been there for over two years now. So I've been here for 
during that time I've been training with him, well I started off training with him, supporting him with his research as well, as well as being a practitioner. So yes, I joined with him and learned his very unique protocols, but also at the same time brought a new dimension to the clinic in terms of the nutritional focus and the comorbidity focus, because of course psoriasis is far more than just a skin disease and associated with a lot of cardiometabolic and weight issues as well. So yeah, the two of us combined our treatment approaches and we have worked out a really good protocol, which is great. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to hearing that a little bit later in the episode. But I'd like for you to explain the difference between psoriasis and eczema because it is the psoriasis and eczema clinic. However, they are completely different skin conditions. And I know for maybe a layman, they may be confused with each other. Yes, absolutely. And it is a great question. I could probably talk all day about this, but I'll try and sum it up as best I can. So both conditions, they have many similarities, which is why they are often confused with each other. However, when you do know what to look for, it certainly does become a lot easier to tell them apart. So firstly, when you're considering the differences between the two, it's important to note that there's multiple subtypes of both and they vary greatly in presentation and their pathophysiology. And some types are easier to tell apart than others. So that's the first thing to consider. For instance, when you're looking at eczema, there's a particular subtype which is chronic, lichenified eczema. And when you compare that to, say, chronic plaque psoriasis, they're actually really similar. And in fact, investigations will also show similarities in the immunohistochemistry uh, histochemistry of both conditions. But also in clinic, we find that both also respond very similarly to the topical treatments. So that's quite interesting. However, when you're comparing different types, say atopic eczema, early onset atopic eczema, to say guttate psoriasis, the conditions become very, very different indeed. And also the way that you would treat them and approach them should be very different as well. So one of the key differences to note is that the immunological pathways are very different. So the majority of eczema, about 80%, is classified as atopic eczema. And this is characterized by an elevated IgE. So it's very much allergic driven and patients will often have a family history of allergic conditions such as asthma and hay fever and food allergy in some cases as well. Whereas psoriasis, on the other hand, is an autoimmune disorder. So it mainly involves genes that control the innate immune responses, and it can be very difficult to pick it up with, a, with blood work, unlike with atopic eczema. So the immunological difference are quite clear when it comes to those particular types of eczema and psoriasis. Another key difference is in the structural changes to the skin. So atopic eczema is associated with skin barrier dysfunction. So this basically involves an increased permeability of the skin barrier, so it's water loss and microbial infection. Whereas in psoriasis, there's also skin barrier dysfunction. However, the skin cycle takes on a rapid turnover and this leads to an increased thickness of the skin. Therefore, you have one condition where the skin barrier is very fragile and often very hypersensitive and reactive. And you have another condition where the skin is quite thick and robust and can usually tolerate stronger treatments. So that's another key difference, particularly in practice. Yes. Another one to look for is location on the body. So eczema is often in the creases of the skin, whereas psoriasis can be on the external areas like the elbows and the knees. However, this is not always 100% um, foolproof because they can both obviously appear in different places. Another way is um, eczema often will present with other conditions such as hay fever and asthma. 
that's good to either ask yourself or ask your patients whether there is a history of this. And psoriasis can also present on the, sorry, in the joints or also on the nails. So this is a really good way to, to differentiate between the two is to ask questions about these as well. And lastly, itch is a really good one. So eczema is highly pruritic, very, very itchy condition, yet to come across a case that hasn't been itchy. However, psoriasis can have itch, but usually it's a lot milder and it's a lot less common. Yeah, so tell us more about the patients you see. So we treat all sorts of patients. So we treat infants right through to the elderly or seniors as they prefer to be known as. So I guess the beauty of natural medicine and holistic approaches is that they're very safe. And all of our treatments and our protocols have been tested for safety as well. So we really can use it on, on pretty much anyone, which is great. When it comes to psoriasis, we get equal male to female. So we definitely see both there as well. So that would, you know, in terms of a typical patient, they're normally aged between about 20 to 60. A lot of them have been down the conventional treatment pathways and often exhausted the conventional treatments, so they're very disheartened by the time that they come to clinic. Often a little bit cynical, and you know, not believing that there is anything out there to help them. So obviously you've got to turn that around in the patients and offer them some hope, realistic hope, of course. And yeah, so I guess you, you are really dealing with a more fragile patient and one that really needs a lot of care. And I'd love to hear more about the different journey that someone will take for treatment. I know that it may be different at the psoriasis and eczema clinic to traditional type treatment. So it might be even good to explain how you differ and then what a traditional type treatment program would look like. Yeah. And yes, I will make that distinction because not every practitioner will treat in the same way. And we do follow a very specific protocol. And this protocol was researched and developed by Professor Terence. So there will be key differences here. And particularly because, as I said, I used to treat psoriasis as a nutritionist and a herbalist without using this particular protocol. And it can, results can vary, particularly when you're not using or you're not relying on particular evidence-based protocols. So it's really important to make sure that you are using very much evidence-based medicine when you are treating these patients. As I said, they are vulnerable and they have already been down a very long journey. But in terms of what a treatment journey would look like at clinic that we work from. So most patients will present for an initial appointment. And I guess one of the benefits about their initial appointment is, or this is across the board with complementary medicine, is they get that longer appointment. So it's really important because they need to be listened to and they do have a long story to tell. But it also really allows you to be thorough because it's not just one or two questions you need to ask a psoriasis patient to be able to help them. You need to know a lot about their medical history. You need to know a lot about their diet, their lifestyle, their stress management, their vulnerability to infection. All of these are really important because they are linked to their potential triggers and very helpful once you understand those to help manage their flares in the future. So an initial appointment usually go for 45 minutes. We'll sit down with them, assess their skin. Uh, now, we do treat as natural medicine practitioners we have the patient is diagnosed prior to coming to see us, but we do assess their skin thoroughly. So we need to know where they are in their course of psoriasis. Are they acute? Are they chronic? Because this will affect the type of treatment that we will use as well. We will observe and we will normally take some photos. And this is also really important to successful outcome because we need to visually see the progression of the skin. 
and also how quickly or how slowly it is progressing because again this will affect how our treatment is prescribed. So that's basically the beginning, we get a lot of information, we will then compound and we'll compound topical medications for them but we'll also prescribe dietary and lifestyle advice depending on what their triggers are and also sometimes some oral, herbal and nutritional medications and, and that really depends on the person. And typically after that we will have a review in two weeks and we expect to see results by that time. So we have a relatively quick turnaround in terms of improvements. And again, I, I believe that's really important to the compliance of the patient, but also for their well-being. really. It's, they're, they're desperate for results and they've been uncomfortable for a very long time. So typically results with our treatments appear within about the 7 to 10 day mark. And they're normally visible enough so that we can compare those photos at that second visit so that the patient can see their progress. After that, it's about a six-week turnaround to get significant improvements. So again, this is quite unique to our protocols. If we take away some of the medications we use here, some of the topical treatments that we use in clinic, results will probably be a bit slower. However, they are still very beneficial and they're normally targeted at the triggers for their condition. So whether that's stress, chronic infection, diet, weight, those sorts of things. How fascinating. So, and what would a traditional type treatment plan look like? So a traditional treatment will normally address, particularly from a nutritionist perspective, normally address deficiencies. It's important to note them as deficiencies because treating non-deficient with um, a patient with non-deficient nutrients with a nutrient, so say someone has plenty of zinc, but you're treating them with zinc, there's no evidence to support that that's going to help. Same thing for fish oils. A lot of people will take fish oils for the anti-inflammatory benefits, but in a lot of cases, there's not a lot of evidence to support this either. So it's really important to make sure that you are assessing them thoroughly and addressing nutrients, for example. So someone may have a vitamin D deficiency, and this is really important to psoriasis. So the traditional approach will normally assess them for nutritional health and well-being, and they will prescribe accordingly. But also, of course, nutritionists will consider the dietary elements as well. So working through the diet, assessing how pro-inflammatory that diet might be, looking and investigating links to intolerances or allergies. So there is some evidence to suggest that those with the celiac gene can have their psoriasis flared by gluten intake. So there's lots of avenues that can be investigated through nutritionists in order to improve psoriasis. Herbal medicine is very similar, however, it's usually targeted as treating the, or I guess normalising the imbalances that occur with psoriasis. So as we mentioned, it is an autoimmune disease. So there are herbs that have properties that actually help to balance the immune system and reduce that overreactivity of the immune system or reduce inflammation or address underlying infection and those sorts of things. So herbal medicine can also be really useful in this circumstance. I see. So you mentioned triggers to psoriasis. So some of them may be dietary uh, deficiencies, some may be stress. What are some other considerations that listeners should think about if they either have psoriasis or they know someone living with psoriasis? Yeah, so we focus really heavily on, on triggers in the clinic and we break them down into two different types of triggers. So there's initiating triggers, which we call primary triggers, and there are secondary triggers, which we well, which are exacerbating triggers. So understanding the difference between the two is really important. The primary triggers are the ones that will normally initiate a flare. 
So often that's, they'll precede, you know, your first flare or they'll precede a new lesion appearing in a new spot, for instance. Whereas exacerbating triggers tend to just feed the psoriasis and keep it going. And there's multiple different triggers and they can be very different depending on the person you have in front of you. But some really standout triggers that I think it's important for people to be aware of, infection, and a lot of people don't relate psoriasis back to infection. However, it's definitely an initiating trigger, even as something as mild as strep throat can cause or, sorry, initiate a flare of psoriasis. So often patients aren't making the connection between the two because it could be a really mild sore throat or just a, a mild case of tonsillitis. And then three weeks later, their psoriasis will begin. So infection is a big one. It's something that you can manage really well with herbal medicine. So that's good. Another trigger is stress. And this is a really big trigger. I'd say it's the case of about 90% of my patients. And it's interesting to note that a lot of psoriasis patients have that type A personality. So they're very resilient. They're able to take on a lot. They work in fast-paced jobs a lot of the time. They can basically push the limits. And... Most other areas of their health are pretty amazing, including gut health in a lot of cases, but it's not until they've reached their limit that the psoriasis will start. So you've really got to have a look at what's their lifestyle. They may not feel overwhelmed or emotionally stressed, but their body's starting to show signs. So it could be high blood pressure, it could be that the weight's just started to creep on, that their sleep isn't as good as it used to. So slow little signs will start to sleep in, and this will all occur around the time of their psoriasis flare. So Stress is a big one and not only physical stress, but often stress associated with change. So big changes in life, such as marrying your wife or husband or giving birth or travelling, moving state, that sort of thing. They're often the sorts of things that will precede an initial flare of psoriasis. Other ones are injury to the skin, so the Kovner phenomenon is well known with psoriasis and certain drugs and chemicals as well. So there are certain medications, some heart medications and other medications that can flare psoriasis. So there's a lot of triggers to be aware of, but once you can work through a practitioner and identify what your triggers are, it certainly makes it a lot easier to manage as you go forward. So I'm just interested to know if when taking a nutritional or holistic type approach to the treatment of psoriasis, you know, the main aim is to reduce the lesions on the skin, to reduce the inflammation in the skin. Do you at the other potential outcomes such as joint pain and things can actually reduce as your treatment plans progress? Yes, absolutely. When you're dealing with the underlying contributing factors to psoriasis, you're essentially working on inflammation. You're essentially working on reducing that systemic inflammation. So it's important to recognise that psoriasis isn't a skin condition. It is a systemic issue and it is an immunological condition. So calling it a skin condition is really quite an inaccurate way to describe it. So when you're treating the contributing factors towards inflammation, you'll not only have benefits in the skin, but you'll have it in the joints, you'll have it in the nails as well. So it's really important that you are managing the underlying drivers to get that full holistic outcome with your condition. In saying that, when it comes to the skin, we combine both an inside-out and an outside-in approach, which I also think is really important. Just working on the inside alone isn't enough because a lot of that inflammation, um, that inflammation 
is actually honed to the skin. So it might start from another area of the body, it might start as a strep throat infection, but it's actually got a homing mechanism that'll travel its way through to the skin and, and lodge there. And it can be difficult to treat without going from that topical end as well. And I think that's what gets the better results is from tre treating from both angles. Yes, absolutely. So taking a holistic approach is not common practice when it comes to chronic skin conditions. Can you share with us perhaps some examples when your collaborative efforts achieved fabulous results for your patients, maybe a few key case studies or clients that you've seen in the past? Yeah, sure. So I definitely agree. It's, it's not common practice, not something that many complementary practitioners do specialise in. In saying there's certainly a growing demand from psoriasis patients, so it's a really good area to specialise in. I think there was a, a 2017 study that showed about 35 to 69% of patients reported the use of CAM. The thing is, whether they've you know, used it from a health food shop or ordered something online or you know, listened to a friend tell them that coconut oil works, it's hard to know. The important thing here is to ensure that those who are actually seeking the natural treatments, that they are seeking ones that have proven e efficacy in this case. So in terms of some great collaboration efforts and what's worked really well for some of our patients, well, we do actually have a clinic in Vietnam that uses our protocol and they dermatologists. So it is a dermatological clinic, but they combine their medications with our medications and they see many, many patients a day and we have thousands of sisters, sorry, from that clinic. So it's really great to show you that you can actually integrate natural and conventional therapies quite safely when you, when you have a good understanding of them and you have a professional using them, of course. So yes, we get really good outcomes in those cases, but also with some really rare conditions even beyond psoriasis. So we often have um, patients that some, somehow find out about our services from the other side of the world, whether it's Kuwait or Hong Kong or wherever it might be, and they, they will often travel to the clinic you know, for some very rare conditions. So again, we've got many examples which I'm happy to share with you at some point of um, what the treatments can do, but also in combination with other therapies. Another example is I do actually have a group of Hong Kong patients at the moment who are actually quite disadvantaged. A lot of them are homeless or out of work. And it was their carer that contacted our clinic. And most of them have quite severe presentations, but they're also on prescriptions such as methotrexate and cyclosporin, which are quite heavy medications, but it's quite important that they stay on those because they have other complications such as psoriatic arthritis. So you're not going to have them come off these medications. They're life-saving for them. They help them move and get about their daily life. However, even though their joints may have improved, their skin wasn't really yet under control. And unfortunately, in those countries, they don't have access to treatments such as the new biologics and they can't afford them. So they were seeking out something else, some natural medicines to help them. And happy to say that we've been able to successfully combine both. So they're still on their current medications. We've been able to safely combine the medications and the nutrition and herbs that we use in clinic. And they're starting to get some really good results. So that's a really great story and certainly very rewarding as a practitioner. How wonderful to hear. And are you doing that via like a teleconference type consultation? Yes, we do it via teleconsultation. 
and we've actually somewhat pro bono. We've, we've, we're just helping them out because they they are in the circumstance that they're in. But yeah, that's, that's one of the things that's very rewarding to be able to do and to have that contact with them to see as, as they progress. So photos are starting to come through, quite a recent example. So photos are coming through of their success. So again, yeah, some great results. So very, very promising. Well, we'll make sure that the website link is in the show notes for anyone that's wanting to see some progress photos. I assume that they're across the social media or website. Yes, they will be. So as they come up, we will be posting them, but we certainly have quite a lot already there. So any previous cases will be there and these are are, are quite new, so they'll be coming up shortly. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I was just speaking to Dr. Michelle Rodriguez um, the other week, who's a dermatologist based in Melbourne as well. And she was discussing how she can collaborate with peers on the other side of the planet. You know, 10 years ago, they weren't able to do that. And just because of, I guess, in a sense, the world getting smaller and we're have increased technology where we can just talk to each other at a touch of a button and it's closing that gap on you know time zones it's so great to hear that people are getting better results from absolutely yeah. absolutely so was there ever a time that you perhaps couldn't achieve what you wanted for your patient recently in the past i know it's a tricky question but i think it's important to you know say when we're talking about any skin condition or any treatment People are so different, skin conditions, the triggers can be so different. And the reality is we're not always going to be uh, having a, you know, a great success with every single person. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is important to highlight those cases and, and to learn from them as with any type of medicine. So I have to say I'm lucky it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I'm, I'm one of those people that really likes to get good results <laughs> and don't give up easily. So, you know, I can find it um, frustrating. And there's, yeah, there's maybe one or two that have stuck with me that I've um, thought about, you know, since their treatments. But when I break it down, so one, for example, was a gentleman who, who came to see me, which I'll have to admit his, his case of psoriasis was a bit more complicated. So the actual presentation and biopsy results did show there was an element of dermatitis in there as well. And that can make psoriasis a little bit tricky to treat because on one hand, when you have your typical variety of psoriasis, it's really quite, quite robust. You can treat it with you know, a really good concentration of, of herbal extracts and it will respond quite quickly and it's not very reactive. But when you add dermatitis into the mix, it becomes sensitive, but it needs a really robust approach. So that already complicated the picture. But then of course, you know, the type of patient, like many others, a little bit cynical, you know, not believing it was going to work, not very compliant which didn't help either. And then by the second week of treatment, he contracted influenza, so medically diagnosed influenza. And of course, that's a huge trigger for psoriasis. So it all came back very quickly. And that was enough, you know, for someone who was already cynical to not really persist and comply any further. So even though I I really strongly held the belief that I was going to get to the bottom of it and help him um, with that, it was one of those cases where just nothing seemed to line up. And I think it is important to realise that that can happen and, and it's okay. You've just got to support the patient as best you can, the best knowledge that you have and try for the best outcomes. And, and I think in most cases that will work, but just every now and then you'll have a, a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, it's not nice, is it? But I know it happens and I guess it's, yeah, learning from it, but also... It, so important for perhaps parents, friends, 
loved ones to realize that psoriasis is a lifelong condition. You know, it's not yeah. something that they have a couple of treatments and then it resolves and then they're never going to have it again. Like yeah. it's yeah. likely that these triggers are always going to be triggers for them. Correct. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they will be. When you treat them well, often the triggers are reacted to less and less, which is promising. However, yes, they will always be triggers. And it is important for both practitioner and patient to work together. The practitioner doesn't hold the miracle tablet alone, even though there are some very effective treatments available. It, it is that partnership and it is the patient taking ownership over what changes they can make. You know, if they understand that stress is a big trigger, they're the ones that will need to investigate that further and work out ways to better manage that stress and what works for them. You know, a practitioner might recommend meditation, but meditation might be something that that patient doesn't enjoy. So, so then it's about finding something that you really do enjoy that, that helps you manage that stress. So it is definitely a partnership, but I think once you, you do have a really good, strong partnership, that the outcomes can be fantastic. Yeah. And it's not a one size fits all. No, no, never is. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so Jessica, are you able to share perhaps three pieces of advice for someone that is experiencing psoriasis? And then maybe a little bit of advice for practitioners that may not have the luxury of working in a kind of collaborative practice. What could they do for someone if they are actually seeing patients with psoriasis come into the clinic? Okay, sure. So for advice for patients, I'd say my number one piece of advice is to manage stress as best you can. I think it's always easier to get a pill or an ointment and managing stress is one of those things that can almost take a lifetime to you know, get a handle on. But if you really prioritise it and realise that link between psoriasis and the nervous system is quite strong, important to note here that they have found that if you sever a nerve that feeds your psoriasis or that connects to where the psoriasis lesion is, that the psoriasis can actually clear. So it really demonstrates that the relationship of the nervous system and psoriasis is quite strong. Wow. So managing stress, yes, I know it's fascinating. So anything that can overstimulate the nervous system, it's not always stress. It can be just being busy. It can be having stimulating foods like caffeine. It can be, you know, overuse of technology, shift work, lack of sleep, all these things that keep that nervous system in overdrive can stimulate psoriasis. So stress is a really important one and one that I work on frequently, if not with every patient. So take time in your day for stress management and again work through the different types of stress management until you find one that's right for you. Second is eat a healthy diet. So being very generalised here because again we find that different people have different dietary requirements and even if there are foods that contribute to psoriasis some have that genetic susceptibility where they're very sensitive to those dietary triggers and others are a little bit more robust with their genetic constitution. So they can eat more of them, you know, before they start to be triggered. So there's no one size fits all again, but you can generalise as in eat a healthy diet. So avoiding the highly westernised processed foods, inflammatory foods, you know, the high sugars and the soft drinks, and too many coffees and all that sort of stuff. That is a one size fits all, that one there. So making sure you're eating well, maintaining a healthy diet, having lots of vegetables, lots of water, that, that standard sort of healthy dietary approach. That's also really important. And again, not something that your practitioner can do for you. So it will take that partnership. Number three is nip it in the bud. So if you've got psoriasis and it's 
just started and you're thinking, oh, it's not so bad, I'm just going to leave it there, it's only on my elbows or it's only in my ear, no one can see it, still good to get onto it now because as psoriasis progresses, it sort of has a tendency of working through the tissues. So it can become more chronic, it can start to spread, it can go into the joints. If you don't manage your diet and your weight, it can end up making you more susceptible to cardiovascular disease. So have that preventative approach to it. So yeah, I think it's much easier to, um, to manage when you get it in the early stages. Hmm. And it comes to practitioners and advice to practitioners. I think it's really important to stay up to date with the research and the understanding of psoriasis, particularly if you haven't niched in that area and you're a general practitioner and you, and you see a few patients, it really requires a lot more education and a lot more training in that area in order to really master treatment. So definitely get your head stuck in the books, look up the latest research, get a better understanding of the pathophysiology of the way it behaves, particularly if you have access to topical herbal medicines, really understanding the way that psoriasis responds and behaves to topical medicines is important. And again, I'll mention that it is more robust. It does tolerate a stronger treatment, but also that because the skin is thicker, you've got to make sure that that treatment is actually getting anywhere near the layer of skin that it needs to, to address that inflammation. So mm. finding ways to break down that, that surface layer, keratolytic type ingredients to drive that anti-inflammatory topical treatment into where it needs to go that's really key to getting results. So definitely worth following the research and if you can, specialise in it because there's a huge need for psoriasis patients for a natural care for their condition. Yeah, there's some fantastic advice there. Thank you. Jessica, where can people find more about you and the work that you're doing? So they can certainly hop on to the clinic website. So that's at www.psoriasisexma.com.au. That will certainly give you a lot more information about the clinic. To learn more about Dr. Turand or Professor Turand and a lot of his research, certainly hop on to Google Scholar and pop in his name and a lot of really interesting research will come up. So that's also a, a good little tip and, and have a read through that. But yeah, otherwise they can follow social channels as well. I'm often updating those with some great before and afters. So we have the Facebook channel at the Psoriasis Eczema Clinic and also Instagram as well. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that I put in some of those relevant resources and studies that you mentioned as well into the show notes if anyone wants to have some further reading. Thank you so much for joining me today on today's show. It was really fantastic to have you and talk from a more nutritional perspective on psoriasis, which is such a chronic and you know debilitating skin and whole body condition. Thanks, Marnie. It was my pleasure. What a fabulous recording. Jessica shared so much gold and I always find it really interesting to hear the different perspectives of different healthcare providers on how they treat skin. There's so many facets to it. The three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were number one, the way that diet and inflammatory skin conditions are intrinsically linked. And how interesting is it that we've kind of done this 360 degree turn where modern medicine came in and the 
the link between diet and skin health was really disregarded, but we are seeing clinical evidence and more reports and more studies coming out showing that they are in fact very linked. So it's great to hear that this particular clinic and Jessica's practices uh, are taking such a non-traditional approach to the treatment of eczema and psoriasis for the betterment and for the best outcomes of their patients as well, which is great to hear. Number two, I find it interesting how many people focus on the internet and social media suggestions than fact and evidence-based suggestions. And this might just be a marketing ploy. I actually remember having a conversation with a provider and they they told me that um, one of their clients actually decided to take the advice from a taxi driver rather than them. And this was someone that had been in the industry for many, many, many years, but we just see it time and time again. Um, and I don't know, it might change, it might not. Um, but I just think it's funny because it's such a reoccurring type of subject. And number three, just how psoriasis and stress or mental health and the nervous system is linked as well, which is really interesting, especially when we live such, such busy lives. We also have um, some pretty crazy things happening in our world right now with pandemics happening. And I think increased stress, increased anxiety, we do see flare-ups of these types of skin conditions. So it's really important that you absolutely take care of your mental health and although there is stigma attached to mental health because we can't necessarily see it it makes it so much more important for someone that has some kind of chronic condition because they certainly see flare-ups the psoriasis and eczema clinic have shared a special offer for the derm health co listeners um, which includes a six-week psoriasis treatment package now we've put the details of this offer in the episode webpage. So the link is in the show notes. It is a limited time offer and as such, we will update the webpage once it has expired. So make sure that you check um, to ensure that it is in fact still in date. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Heal Thy Skin podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and found it valuable, please consider leaving a review. It helps people find the podcast and ultimately we want to share the content that we produce with as many people as possible. So until next week, stay skin powered.